Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you combine them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the website? You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Hello, everybody. Tom and KJ back again. Keith, good to see you, sir. I like soccer. Is that what we're going to talk about for all 60 minutes? No, but a good portion of it, I hope. Can you enlighten us about soccer? Have you ever actually kicked a soccer ball? No. So it should be a scintillating 60 minutes. I'm just a fan <laughs> and a big fan. Way to go, ladies. Way to go, Coach K. Way to go, ladies. We'll talk with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, about that. We'll also talk to one of the stars of that soccer show, was great to see. It was a remarkable run when you consider who they bested over the last four or five weeks. And also for Coach Krikorian and the program as a whole, once you get to multiple championships, that takes you to another level. Just, five, only five coaches, five coaches in the history of the NCAA. Well, just think about multiple. You know, Bobby back in the day took forever to get that first one, and then you wanted the validation of a second one, and that's sort of what takes you to the next level, and Mark Krikorian got that. So and plus, once you get get to the top of the mountain, it's harder to stay up there than it is to get up there, and it took, what, three years, 14, four years, 2014 and now 2018 for the ladies and for Coach K. Well done. We will talk uh, soccer just a little bit. The uh, basketball team continues to climb in the polls. Keith, well, we'll get to that. They've got another big test against UConn this week. If Boy, if they can get a win at UConn, it will be as strong a non-conference resume as Leonard has had, uh, assuming... Particularly this early in the season. This early in the season. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, this early. But, I mean, just in, ten, in terms of signature non-conference wins, it gives you a little bit more wiggle room when you get into the ACC. If they can get this one. Even without it, they still could put together a really nice non-conference. But hopefully they get one more here against UConn. Uh, that game is Saturday. And, of course, there's a little bit of football news to discuss. You think? We're looking have you for applied for any jobs? I have not applied for the okay. offensive coordinator just, position. Just checking. It is vacant. As we sit here and talk, that's subject to change any second. Well, it could have I already realize... changed. We just don't know yet. It hadn't been announced. So, you know, there's there's names out there. We can play the name <clears throat> game. But I think, to me, there's two bigger picture things here. One is the relationship between Taggart and Walt Bell and what the decision for Walt to move on means. And two is whoever the new offensive coordinator is, if you don't make other changes to the offensive staff, then you've brought somebody in who's working with parts and pieces that wouldn't necessarily be of his choosing. Now, obviously, you know that in advance if that's the way it 
goes down, or you also know in advance that there are going to be more changes. Two parts. Number one, um, from a personal standpoint, you got to know him much better than I did. I enjoyed my time with Walt Bell. I thought he was a very bright, articulate uh, young coach, and I'm, I'm happy for him if, if getting into the head coaching uh, realm is what he wanted to do. Remember UMass, uh, our good friend Gene Deckerhoff reminded me that when FAMU won their first national title under Rudy Hubbard, they beat UMass. Now, I didn't validate that, but I trust Dr. Deckerhoff that he had it right. And they won a national championship again in 98 uh, under uh, a different scenario as they worked their way up into the, the rankings. So good opportunity for Walt, happy for him. But secondly, you and I talked a little bit officially, but a whole lot unofficially. We have a lot of unofficial conversations. About, you know, unofficially. Just, there was just the question of whether Walt – and, and and Coach Willie got you know not that they didn't like each other or whatever but did, did, did they get along did they mesh because this this Gulf Coast offense is a little bit unique I don't want to put it in the same thing as the Veer or the triple option or that type of thing but it is a little different West Coast versus drop back versus power eye versus whatever and there just seemed to be a little bit of a non connect versus a disconnect and uh, so you wonder what what will coach taggart do in terms of his evaluation of who he brings in now and then my question to you and to everyone else if you bring in a high proud oc okay that hasn't coached in the gulf coast offense does willie change his offense and let that oc implement and install what he wants to install well if you're going to bring in hugh freeze i would think hugh's only coming here there's other factors involved numbers to the left of the decimal point will be a factor but he's not coming here to do anything but run his offense if he comes in if you get a name like that i would think so from that standpoint if taggart goes that direction whether it's hugh freeze or another big name that would be an indication that we're not looking at the Gulf Coast offense. We're looking at whatever these – And does that mean we're another year in install and another year further down the road for from being where we want to be? And if it's somebody like Hugh Freeze, how long he's – he's been out a year. There was no – there was a show cause for a year if he was going to become a head coach, but there never was a show cause related to being a coordinator and assistant coach. So that didn't apply, but, you know, he's been out of the game a year. If he comes here for a year and Florida State goes from five and seven to – eight wins whatever shows progress on offense he's back to being a head coach next year and you got another offensive coordinator which taggart has been through plenty of offensive coordinators here's the thing i would say if you look if you look back at this past year and taggart was hired right around this time in december and he clearly won the off season he won everything up until the virginia tech game whether it was the booster circuit whether it was recruiting probably one whether it was well. faculty whether it was folks <laughs> in westcott he, he won everything and yet here we sit and people are disappointed frustrated and he's at the top of the list so Right now, if you hire Hugh Freeze or a name like that, now there will be some negativity associated with his past baggage. But generally speaking, among the fan base, you're going to win the offseason again. But ultimately, it's going to be judged by what the season looks like next year. So really what I'm saying is if you hire somebody that's not a known name, whether, you know, another Walt Bell type, that will be panned right now. It'll be universally panned. It won't excite people. It won't be an incentive to buy tickets. But if he goes 10-2 and two next year, guess what? Everybody's going to love the hire, and that's ultimately when it's going to be judged. The other thing I've worried, not worried about, but wondered about, and you've not heard this said at all, so it's probably just Jones being an idiot, but, you know. It is that time of the show. Yeah. Uh, what about hiring a legacy offensive coordinator? What's, what's Winky doing? 
you know, what uh, what's uh, uh, Stock still doing? I, I know he's the head coach at Middle Tennessee, and he's later in his career and old like me. But you know, do you do you go that route? Uh, do you go uh, big name? Do you go unknown name or, or up and comer? I mean, I, it's a it it is an issue for Coach Taggart to work his way through. There is no question. You got a lot of strong personalities. Uh, Winky's a pretty strong personality. Now he hasn't been a coordinator. I think he's a running back coach at Tennessee right now, perhaps. Uh, but again, so the same thing would be in play there if if Tennessee and and the you know as we're sitting here, Hugh Freeze to Alabama is the hot thing. But four days ago it was Hugh Freeze to Tennessee and FSU was in between. But if Hugh Freeze goes to Tennessee, maybe he does so wanting to bring his own people in and not work with Winky. Maybe Chris is looking for a job. I I, I don't know. I I, I maintain that. As we have discussed, despite everybody's want for one little button that's going to fix everything, it's not as simple as getting this guy in here uh, because you got to change out the players. Uh, you got to get players stronger. You got to do a better job across the coaching staff. You got to thank the ACC or, or, or maybe the administration that the schedule's not quite as challenging next year as what it was this past. I mean, there's just all these different factors in addition to who the offensive coordinator is. There, that begs, and now we're going to we're going to make this glass half uh, full, regardless. But now we can get quicker into the off season program because we don't have to prepare for a bowl. We can get quicker after January one because we're not overcoming from a bowl, and we can get those players bigger and stronger and all the other things. So, there's only one way to go. You can look at. It, I mean, the bowl streak is over, so I've turned that page. So now it's extra time in the weight room and extra so time on the road recruiting. What, what bowl game are you going to go to this year? Because you've been to one the last. 15 or 20 uh, there's a couple that i missed in that streak i have not been at all 36 <laughs> i haven't even been at all of them in the last uh, 15 years or so but to answer your question i don't know uh generally we roll into new orleans uh pre-christmas on the same day as the new orleans bowl so that's always a possibility and i have family member that's involved with the greater new orleans sports foundation so i could probably make that happen except that this year uh, you and I will be together with the FSU basketball team in the Orange Bowl Classic. I think I, I think that's the same day as the the New Orleans Bowl. So that one's off the table. You got any suggestions? I, I just raised you and I have already. I, I'm a I'm a bad attorney. I raised the question and I didn't know what the answer was. <laughs> uh, you and I have already been in uh, Honolulu together over Christmas for no, that. Bowl. Oh, was yeah. it the Aloha Bowl. What a great Christmas Day dinner that was. Here, hey Jones, I got this great restaurant. Laura and I went to this restaurant on our honeymoon. It's just wonderful. And I go in there and I had to cook my own steak. Hey, That's not my idea of a restaurant. Here's a story that our listeners won't care about either, but as long as we're already on this road, <laughs> losing listeners. Our good friend Craig Rothberg, I spoke to him yesterday. He's a producer for ESPN. And I don't know if he's producing or, or doing something else uh, in the truck related to this, but he got his bowl schedule and and the is it the Aloha Bowl? I'm struggling. Hawaii Bowl? I can't even remember. One or the other. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's on his schedule. He got all excited, and then he read the fine print, and it's a remote broadcast for ESPN, which means the whole crew's going to be in Orlando, Orlando, to broadcast the game out of Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if as luck would go, that's that's the luck you get, right? Anyway, back back to football. So, I, I just think those are the bigger questions that uh, i will say this related to walt bell and you can it doesn't matter what you and i say people are gonna believe whatever and, and make assumptions about whatever uh, the assumptions go so far you know and i always say the truth's in the middle so there's already assumptions that that taggart and bell just hated each other you know i think the more plausible is that philosophically there were some differences or maybe from a self-protection standpoint Walt Bell looked at it and thought, this offense isn't going to be markedly better next year. And for the sake of my reputation, I'm getting out now and taking the UMass job so that I can keep my career trajectory on the upswing. I mean, there's there, – or 
I, whatever. I mean, you could look back and suggest that when Taggart made the change to let Bell call plays, that that was when it was already clear that Bell wasn't coming back. And Walt said, can I at least call plays for the last month to help me round up my resume? You know, so I look, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, or maybe just or maybe, maybe they, Walt's wife didn't like Tallahassee. That's what I'm saying. I mean, we can, or something else, or maybe, you know, maybe Walt liked Blackman and, and Taggart likes Francois. I mean, there's a million different things we can get, but I'm saying all that to say this, the fact that he's gone, if that was a change that, that Taggart wanted to make anyway, he left of his own accord and you don't have to pay a buyout for that. So that's safe. And he took less money. He took less money annually, but more money guaranteed. Longer under contract. Yes. But so it's it frees Florida State up. It was a three-year contract. I forget what Bell was making, but they would have had to pay. If, if you just dismissed him, if that's what Taggart wanted to do, uh, then you would have had to pay that. So now you don't have to pay that, and it frees you up to maybe potentially make other changes, of which I, I think some are coming based on need. <laughs> I, I, I was getting to that word, but I was going to say based on the fact that President Thrasher in an interview with, uh, with Warchant indicated that uh, he expected a couple coming. If the president's saying that, then there probably are a couple coming. I think they would come after the early signing period. Of which, obviously, we don't, uh, as we've self-professed, um, really don't uh, track and pay as much attention to. But uh, when we were talking about the early signing period, there was the question of whether it would become of importance and would February still be the main day. And obviously, we're finding that everyone thinks December is and should be and is going to be the main day. And so the recruiting uh, we'll know about, at least majorly, uh, sooner as opposed to later, within the next couple of weeks. And uh, it would be interesting to see how that falls out. Particularly as it relates to a quarterback who was apparently committed to Walt Bell and maybe not FSU, and we'll see where that lands. We will uh, get to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, after I remind you that our good friends at Madison Social have booked your December calendar. Uh, the third annual Booze Cookie Social is tonight. I have not partaken, partook, participated in that previously, but it sounds Had intriguing. Any? Yes, it sounds intriguing. Uh, the SantaCon crawl is Friday down around Township and on Madison. You remember when we were at uh, Atlanta for uh, the FSU Alabama game? It was Comic Con. This is the SantaCon, so get your best Santa suit out. You, you and I'll be in New Jersey. We won't be able to make that. Uh, well, I'll be in New Jersey. You're you flying be, up the next I'll, day. I'll still be here on Friday. And matter of fact, I have a, uh, a work holiday party that's in that neck of the woods oh how convenient how convenient so i might have to to bring out that santa suit dueling pianos is back at township on saturday as well we will miss that but uh i don't encourage the same for you you should go <laughs> tim linnefelt is uh patiently waiting on hold which is to say he's screaming at our producer that he's got a busy schedule so we'll get to tim right after this on front row Knowles. <laughs> Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. <laughs> it's all cold down along the beach. And the wind's whipping down the boardwalk. Oh, 
It's time for our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. It's also uh, Christmas time. Tim requested some Springsteen, and that, that's what we pulled out. It seems appropriate right now. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. I think we should kind of sit back and let that thing roll a little bit. That's I what I was thinking, time. too, because otherwise we got to talk about, you know, football and how we're going <laughs> to fix things and, and all that. Should point out that Tim joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We change his walk-up music uh, every time uh, we come off a loss. And last week we had Let's Get Physical in our flashback to 81, and there was no way we were going to let that continue until there was another football game. So I guess we're just going to I thought be, he was going to ask for Grease and throw Travolta in there as well. We're just going to take requests every week, I guess. Tim, how are you, though? Hey, it's a long offseason, guys. we got plenty of time to dive into that deep catalog. we got plenty of time to screw this up is what you're saying. I, I, <laughs> but we should have just gone with Queen and we are the champions since you spent all weekend in Cary, North Carolina with the that soccer seminars. That is true. Seminars. That is true. So that was, that was quite a feat. I, I know our, our listening audience, not everybody is a soccer fan. but the well, you should be. Well, I, I don't disagree. And what Krikorian's team beat is the equivalent on this run uh, of, of Alabama. Uh, well, it's like you beat Alabama, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Miami in the 80s, and pick Southern Cal and Penn State. And, and I stand corrected. It would be like beating UCLA in basketball in the 70s. Yeah, well, that too. All that rolled into one feels like what they accomplished on the pitch last week, Tim. I mean, listen, they beat the last three national champions in consecutive games in, uh, in Penn State, USC, uh, and Stanford, and then you go in the championship game and beat uh, a North Carolina team that has won, I think it's 21 of a possible 37 uh, women's soccer championships. I mean, they, yeah, that's it, it really is incredible. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you see in uh, a tournament setting, maybe a team will catch a break here and there, or, or you know, like you see like in the NCAA basketball tournament, there'll be an upset, which actually paves the way for somebody to have an easier road to the Final Four. Man, that did not happen. I mean, Florida State went through uh, really the elite of the elite in, in women's college soccer uh, to win this title. And so, uh, I mean, look, you know, every, every championship, I'm you know, I'm sure feels great and is sweet. And this is number two for Mark Corian And, and uh, you know, I'm sure they're like, you know, like children, you know, how do you pick one? But but I guarantee you this one feels pretty good because they, uh, I mean, they really, really earned it. And as the book says, you win championships with defense. No, yeah, they absolutely did. They didn't, didn't allow, didn't allow a, a goal to Stanford or North Carolina. The Stanford thing is incredible to me. I mean, North Carolina is a great team in their own right, obviously, and, and the tradition and history there that they have with their program. But Stanford hadn't lost a match in 45 matches. It had been almost two years. They had trailed all season something like seven and a half minutes. Uh, and so to, to beat them and, and really, I thought, kind of dominate them, uh, especially after they got the lead, it was like Stanford didn't know what to do. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting, too, uh, I mean, you can you can say you know for all the the dominance of, of teams like that and how good they are, but you know the fact of the matter is Stanford didn't really have to, to play through any difficult circumstances or or you know come back from adversity or anything like that for pretty much the last I don't know eighty percent of the season, um, and and you know you wonder if maybe you know you get to that stage in the College Cup and, and things don't go well for you or in, the, in this particular instance things went well for Florida State. Uh, you wonder how they're going to respond, not having that type of experience, um, and uh, and it turns out not so well. As contrast that with Florida State, you know they were so uh, battle tested and, and and you know had been through so many peaks and valleys uh, throughout this season uh, that you know they really didn't have a whole lot of adversity uh, in the College Cup, but you know they went through a lot to get there, and I think it made them a better team for it. One more question on this, then we're going to have a soccer guest join us next uh, segment. Uh, one of the stars from the College Cup. Tim, can you put into perspective 
the the run that Carolyn Jeffers had as the keeper when you consider that you know she gets forced in due to injury in the middle of the ACC championship match FSU's I think if memory serves FSU was up 2-0 and she ended up letting a you know I, I'm sure it was I don't know if I'd call it a cheap one but it was one she should have saved go in and the next thing you know they're tied and they win that in PKs I mean this could have gone off the rails for somebody that hadn't played as a keeper and didn't have confidence and it turns out that she ends up being the backbone of that defense as they go through and win this championship no, exactly right. I mean, really just a remarkable story. Mark Reporian actually made sure to point that out in his post-game press conference on Sunday, uh, just how important she was. And, and really, uh, not to take anything away, but how good the defense was in front of her as well. Uh, you know, Stanford, I think, went the last 60 or so minutes of the game on Friday night without recording a single shot on gold. North Carolina didn't have very money. But I'll tell you this, the one that uh, the Stanford did have, uh, was a really really nice shot that uh, that that Caroline had to she had to dive to her right you know outstretched fingertips saved deflection all that kind of stuff um, you know she really uh, made her presence felt there and then yeah man I mean you think about uh, you know how many teams losing their their top choice goalkeeper uh, basically on the eve of the NCAA tournament and then in the conference championship game uh, you know for a lot of teams I think that kind of you know. I mean, I'm not not to say you're sunk, but it it really really hurts your chances and it can be deflating. Uh, but uh, but Carolina rose to the occasion, and I think the team and in particular the defense really rallied around her. Tim, that that save reminded me that deflection that, that you just talked about reminded me of the catch that Jesse Warren made when the ladies won the uh, softball national championship. I mean, it it kind of came out of nowhere because you and after the fact you appreciated how how big it was, and it almost said uh, this is a sign. No, actually, this, this is the year. Well, you know what they, I think it's kind of interesting about both of them is, is both of those were, were non-scoring plays, obviously. Florida State didn't get any, any points or goals or runs or whatever from, from those plays. Uh, but you had to have them, right? I mean, it's easy to forget in that Jesse Warren play that I mean, you know, Washington was starting to threaten. You know, they had a runner on. Florida State only had a one-run lead at that point. Uh, you know, it was, it was getting to be kind of a tense moment. Uh, and if, if she doesn't make that play, you know, Washington, I think, if I remember, memory serves, they at least have runners on first, second with no outs and only a one-run deficit. Uh, same thing here in, in Stanford's coach kind of said the same thing about that save, you know, that Caroline Jeffers made. It's easy to say, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but, I mean, look, there's no denying, you know, if, if Stanford kind of breaks the seal, so to speak, gets a goal, uh, starts playing the seed of doubt in, in Florida State's mind, maybe, uh, maybe that game turns out differently. Maybe they start playing with more confidence. But I think it, it works exactly the other way. When you put a good shot on target and the keeper makes a great save, you know, you kind of throw up your hands a little bit and say, oh, you know, what, what are we going to do? And I thought you saw that from Stanford. I mean, you know, midway through that match, they sort of looked like a team that sort of had run out of ideas. You know, they didn't know how to attack, didn't know how to how to you know, generate consistent pressure. They were just sort of throwing things at the wall to see what would stick, and, and nothing did. Congratulations, indeed, to the soccer Seminoles. We'll continue that conversation uh, next segment. But Tim, let's let's bounce over to. Uh, well, it, it's the world uh, calls it uh, football, but or football. But we're moving to football now. And uh, I, you know, it used to be the silly season was like May or June. I feel like, and that's when all of a sudden there'd be rumors that there'll no longer be conferences and everybody will be here or FSU's joining the Big Ten or whatever. But but now we've gotten to it even sooner without a bowl game, and and all of a sudden every everybody who's ever had a clipboard and a whistle is associated with FSU as a potential offensive coordinator. But <laughs> what what do you what are your takeaways in terms of uh, not not names so much, but but time frame, what it may mean when you bring in somebody else in terms of potentially having to make other changes offensively, quarterback commits again. I know you can't name names, but that sort of thing. 
Well, uh, first and foremost, to answer your question on the timeline, I expect it'll be pretty soon. Uh, you know, seeing reports out there and, and you know, putting your ear to the ground, it's obvious that they, you know they're they're not wasting time on this. So, you know, interviewing candidates, reaching out to potential candidates, and then with that early signing period coming, uh, you know, what is it next week or early the following week, whenever the nineteenth starts? Uh, you know, you want to get somebody in place quickly so that you can go to your your prospects and say, hey, this is the guy that's going to be calling your plays. This is the guy that, that you're going to be playing for. So I, I suspect it'll get done uh, before too terribly long. I'm sure that's what uh, what Willie Taggart wants. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that there's going to be a big departure uh, in terms of what the offense is going to look like. Now, I, I won't be surprised. Um, in fact, I will be surprised in the opposite direction. Um if it's not somebody who's going to come in and have maybe a little bit more control over the offense, I suspect um, they want to bring in somebody who is, is going to call plays and is going to be in charge of the offense. And Willie Tiger will kind of be more in oversight uh, than he was for much of last season. But I still think the philosophies uh, are going to align. I still think they're going to want to go at tempo, move fast. Um, you know, the, the lethal simplicity that, that you're still searching for, I, I think you're going to hire somebody who uh, agrees with those principles and uh, and is able to coach you know within those parameters and has experience with it, uh, but I do think that whoever comes in uh, will will probably have a much more hands on role in the offense than than we saw you know, this past season. Let me ask you this, and maybe given the way the offense looked, it it doesn't matter. But so one of the names that's out there is Hugh Freeze. But it, just if it's a big name, if it's somebody that potentially is going to be a head coach next year. Because uh, in the case of Freeze, I, I, when I say next year, two years. I mean, one year as offensive coordinator, he's going to be in the head coaching pool again. Is is that really if he does well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is, and maybe that's what you want. You want him to do well on all your coaches or candidates for other jobs, and you just deal with replacing them. Them then, or would it be better to get a little continuity in somebody that, uh, in theory, was more like a Walt Bell that was a couple years away from from becoming a head coach? And I realize. You know, Walt did just become a head coach. I was going to say, you know, that that theory kind of goes out when. Uh, well, I, I, look, I think it, it, at this stage of the game, the coaching circuit and the, and the carousel, as you said, is so unpredictable that trying to map that out, you know, beyond a year, maybe two years, is kind of a fool's errand anyway. Just because, gosh, I mean, who who at this time, you know, six or eight months ago, could have ever predicted that Walt Bell would be the head coach at Massachusetts right now? You know what I mean? It's just you can't even account for that. Uh, to me, I think having a situation where if Florida State's offense was so good that its offensive coordinator was being, uh, you know, picked for head coaching jobs in a year, that's a good problem to have. It's particularly given the context of everything that's happened over the last 12 months or early this, this last season. Now, I'll, you know, I'll cross that bridge uh, when I get there. I mean, I, I do understand the concern, uh, but uh, but for that to happen, that means that your offense, I think, is a lot better than what it was this past year. And, and you know what? That's a that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. Yeah, and the reality is, and I realize Saban and Bama are at a different level, but Nick changes offensive coordinators the way the rest of us change underwear. I mean, every year right. there's somebody new in there, and it doesn't. Nobody misses a beat. Uh, which maybe leads to the bigger point that that for all this coaching talk, that it's the Jimmys and the Joes more than the X's and the O's. Well, maybe we'll just, maybe maybe we'll just latch onto the rumor that Jalen Hurts is going to transfer to Florida State, and we'll let Alabama be a part of our solution how about that <laughs> well well I, let me ask you this tim because and a, and a lot of this and, and we don't know uh and, and i know you can't name names uh but i guess i can but there's a quarterback from charlotte who was committed to fsu and maybe still is but maybe his allegiance was to walt bell and maybe will no longer come the real question is never heard of him do you think that that there will be a do you expect there to be a quarterback in this class whether it's 
the kid who's currently committed or a grad transfer or somebody else not on the radar right now? Because oh, no, nobody yeah. seems to know whether Francois is back or what the future for Blackman is or any of this. No, I mean, I, I, I just I can't imagine that there won't be a quarterback uh, to some degree, you know, whether it's uh, guys who have been previously linked or somebody new. I, I think we saw some uh, – new offers going out earlier this week i just i mean no matter no matter how you slice it whether it's you know deandre francois and james blackman again whether it's you know a, a different freshman um you know going into a season i mean you saw it this past year having two scholarship quarterbacks on your roster is a really precarious uh place to be i think and and you know you, you saw it affect florida state and what they had to do and uh you know this past season um, so we'll see. And look, it, it could be a situation that's unavoidable again, depending on what guys decide to do. But I think you want to try, obviously, to avoid that uh, if you can. And so I, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but I'll be really, really, really surprised if there's not a quarterback, uh, and, and you know, ideally more than one uh, in this class. Tim, we're gonna we're gonna stop there, but we leave you with one charge for the week. <laughs> okay. Being the social media giant that you are. Oh. Use your platform to come up with some walk-up music for next week, and uh, uh, and uh, you know maybe leading us, maybe heck, maybe till August thirty-first when we're in Boise, we can do this weekly. I, I know, I, I know you're a music aficionado. I see some of your tweets, so we'll see. What I'll, we can, I'll see what I can do. I'll see, see, what, can. see what you can drum up. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Yes, Keith, that's a way of saying that I can't continue to take your suggestions over here because it's no longer the seventies or the eighties. Or the 60s, for that matter. Hey! Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Appreciate him. We'll uh, talk Seminole soccer when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles and back to Seminole Soccer we go. Tom and Keith with you and really pleased to bring Jalen Howell to the program. All she uh, has done is help lead Florida State to a national championship. This past uh, week, she was the most outstanding player on defense at the College Cup where Florida State defeated Stanford and UNC. Jalen, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Is it still cloud nine, or what's the last uh, 72 hours, maybe a little bit longer, uh, been like for you? Um, It's been amazing. Um, Honestly, I don't think it's really sunk in yet, but um, it's it's been amazing. So take us through the lead up, not to the North Carolina match, but first to the Stanford match, because... In spite of Florida State's tremendous history of success in soccer, that matchup with Stanford was sort of billed almost as a David versus Goliath. I mean, they were the defending champs. They won 45 matches in a row. I think they got you last year. Uh, so so what was the preparation and what was the plan going into that match, which you guys truly dominated? Um, yeah, I mean, we knew Stanford was going to be an amazing team, and um, they have an amazing program, so... We knew no matter what, we were going to have to bring our best um, game plan and our best mentality. Um, ultimately, we knew that if we played for each other, and um, Mark kept saying, you know, we're the best soccer team in the nation, we just got to go out and show it. And um, I think that's really what we did, and I'm just so proud of the team for stepping up and doing that. Well, Jalen, you get past Stanford, and then you got to play somebody that you see regularly and sometimes multiple times, as again was this year. 
you lose to Carolina in the regular season. You had defeated them in the ACC. How much different is it playing someone for the third or even the fourth time versus playing someone that's new? And more importantly, playing somebody that's got 20-something national titles hanging up somewhere in uh, in, in uh, their, their, their room somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, again, we knew North Carolina was going to be a great team, especially since, you know, we played them twice that season. So we knew the quality that they had. Um, but again, it was the same game plan. Um, nothing changed. Um we knew we were going to have to bring everything we had, and that's exactly what we did. Um, and I'm just so proud that we were able to, you know, beat them for that second time um, in another championship. Your hometown on Seminoles.com is listed as Lone Tree, Colorado, but I know your, your dad played for the Bucks back in the day. But how did you get to Florida State is the is the basic question. I mean, what was the attraction initially, and, and how did you get connected with uh, Coach Kerkorian and the program? Yeah, so uh, I knew, you know, that they had a huge amount of success um, throughout the years, um, especially in 2014. You know, that's when I started uh, being recruited and looking. And, I mean, that's when they won, won the national championship. So, um, obviously, I knew that they had a great coaching staff, great program. Um, and then when I came for my visit, um, just the amount of professionalism, Mark and Mike and the, the rest of the staff, um, teach us. It was just amazing, and style of play was amazing, and um, also the way that they incorporate the international girls was uh, really attracted me here because uh, you know we get to learn different styles of play, and I think it really it helps like my game grow and everybody else's game grow around me. So um, that was a huge part of it, and um, yeah, obviously it's, it's kind of cool going back to where my dad um, or near where my dad played, um, and I'm pretty familiar with Florida so um yeah I'm definitely happy with my decision. <laughs> Jalene you talk about the international girls and the, and the ladies that have been recruited by Mark and his staff from around the country you, you've begun the process and have been quite involved in playing uh you know uh, competitively in the world I think one of the notes I read was that you participated in the 18 uh, FIFA U20 Women's World Cup what how has being around those international ladies helped you as you've gotten ready to further your career on the international stage? Um, yeah, like I said, um, they've just been teaching me different styles of play. Um, you know, usually coming from Asia, uh, Asian style of soccer is very technical. Um, and I think me learning the technical side of that, and then also, you know, we have um, Nat from – uh, Finland and you know she just has everything she's a rock back there and she's really taught me like the mentality um and then we have like you know Glory and Dana who um have that South American flair um and have really taught me that part of the game um and I'm just excited to continue to work with them and learn learn new things the I want to go back and we talked with with uh, Tim Linnefelt from Seminoles.com in our last segment about this but can you can you share a little bit about Carolyn Jeffers and what she was able to do in terms of when she came into play? Because I mean, you guys were winning the ACC championship, and then a couple goals go in, and her confidence could have been shattered at that point. She winds up being, uh, you know, in the net the entire run and, and played tremendously well. Yeah, uh, Carolyn is a rock. Um, not many people can do what she did and as well as she did, and. Um, I think we're all just so grateful that she was able to go in there and um, do what she did. And she's not only um, 
a, you know, a great player on the team that really stepped up for us, but she's also a great teammate and a great person off the field. Um, and so I'm just so happy for her and all the success she's had, and um, she deserves it. It really was a tremendous, tremendous run. So give us a thumbnail sketch, uh, understanding that, you know, not all of our listeners are intimately familiar with Florida State soccer on, uh, because this is how long you get to enjoy it, you know, a couple of days, and then we want to ask about the repeat. So who, uh, who's coming back? What's the roster look like going forward? Uh, we have a lot of great players coming in. Obviously, we're going to miss the, the senior class. They bring so much to this team on and off the field, and we're really going to miss them, but um, I think we have a bright future um, coming. We're, we, we have, you know, three players coming in the spring, um, more in the fall. Uh, I'm just really excited to see what this what this team can do next year because um, I think it's really possible for, another, for a repeat. Jalen, let's talk about some uh, non-soccer-related things. Uh, our listeners are always interested. What's your, what's your major, and what do you think you'll be doing once you uh, hang the cleats up? Um, I'm majoring in media communications. Um, and, um, you know, obviously, um, after I'm done at Florida State, I, I would love to go pro, um, and, uh, hopefully one day play for the national team, the full team. Um, but, uh, if, if, you know, if not that, I'm definitely going to do something, um, within the media communications range, so. Well, you've got a lot of time to sort that out. Well, don't get any good at it, and don't get any ideas yeah, about having a weekly radio show in Tallahassee. That's not on the table. Hey, it was nice. It was nice knowing you, Keith. Um, I, I have a question. Uh, this came via via Twitter from uh, Ed Stuckrath, who says, "I had a daughter who played against you in Colorado. What's your best advice, or, or what advice would you give to his daughter as she moves on into college soccer, uh, related to speed of game, fitness, uh, or just any advice in general?" Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, no matter what, no matter what anybody tells you, just keep working hard, keep doing you. Um, and everybody says, says this, but a lot of people are going to tell you no, um, and that you can't do this or, um, it's going to seem like you can't, but as long as you believe in yourself, um, then you can, you can do it. Um, my dad always tells me, you know, um, mentality before reality. You have to actually think that you're going to do it um, for anybody else to believe that you're going to do it and for that to actually happen. Well, let's see. What's more important, a Super Bowl ring or a national championship ring? Yeah, you, you got, got some, you you got got some dad, right now. You and your dad are going to have to make a decision there, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I don't know. He, he was obviously so happy and uh, – he, he honestly loves soccer as much as football now. It's, it's really funny, but um, he, he fell in love with the sport um, as I've continued to play. So um, he, was, he was on top of the world. So. Well, and for those who, who don't know, uh, Jalen's dad, John, was a member of the Bucks Super Bowl championship team in, in 2002. Uh, but that's, you know, that's on the second page now. The, the front page is that uh, you're a national champion. So congratulations, uh, in, enjoy this right now. I know you guys will be back to work soon, and we look forward to seeing the product on the field again next year. But uh, well-earned, well-deserved. Congratulations uh, from us to you and making Florida State Nation proud. Well done. Very very much well done. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All righty. That is uh, Jalen Howell, who was a Defensive Player of the Year or, or Defensive MVP of the College Cup, I beg your pardon, uh, last week beating Stanford in North Carolina. Really quite a run, tip of the cap, and uh, – I, you know, FSU fans know this, but to get softball and soccer in the same year when they share the same complex, just in the same year period, it's it's ironic that they share the same complex, I guess. But uh, the fact that Florida State's achieving at that level 
uh, in women's sports. Really, everybody involved should be congratulated for that. Well, and certainly it speaks to the commitment um, that Florida State has given to women's athletics. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of uh, women competing at the NCAA level here in at Florida State. Uh, been an emphasis all year long, and, and how great is it to, to get a national championship and maybe, maybe another one when the ladies uh, hit the uh, diamond uh, in that 50th anniversary celebration. Congratulations again. I also want to uh, take a moment to thank our good friends at uh, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. We talk about them all the time. Uh, I could have used them putting up my uh, Christmas lights or at least some gadget or gizmo that they have over there. But uh, did, I'm happy. Did, did you ask for help, Tommy? Uh, I, I didn't, but I should have. There you go. So you got to overcome ignorance to start with. Well, I was just going to say the first step is admitting you have a problem and, and then going to get help for it, right? And Ron is there Ron, to listen. Ron, Ron Ron, is, hello, Tom. This is Ron. I'm listening. 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Uh, no broken bones involved, probably because uh, I steer clear from ladders as much as I can. I am not a ladder person either. Um, the latter portion of our show is coming up, however, and I guess we'll talk basketball right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we've still got a while to go. Keith, uh, holiday shopping's in play, and I've uh, got the perfect gift for that special someone in your life. That special someone in my life? Tell me more. It's it's Wow, that was almost like we had a script, and we don't. <laughs> it, it's not jewelry. It's even better than jewelry. The, what in the world could be better than jewelry, jewelry, Mr. Block? Beer. That would be accurate. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, that might not be true for all, but uh, we do need to tell you about the uh, Tallahassee Beer Festival, which is coming up. So if you're looking for the stocking stuffer, here's here's the connection. January 26th is the event. Uh, tickets on sale now. You can go to tlhbeerfestival.com. Uh, this event will be at the uh, the pavilion at the center, former formerly Tallahassee Mall. You know where it is, um, at, the, at the Tallahassee Center there at the pavilion. But uh, over 65 uh, breweries involved home brewers triangle cone all the tallahassee so what um, i hear you saying mr block is instead of putting cans of beer into the stocking i can purchase tickets and put tickets in the stocking what i'm telling you flat out is i don't want jewelry from you i would prefer (laughs) tickets to the beer festival do you hear me i hear you okay anyway tlhbeerfestival.com more to come on that uh, in coming weeks it's at it's at the end of january and uh, the week before Super Bowl weekend, I guess, is when it is. One, so you can one, get in shape. One, one more comment from my part. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, being an adjunct uh, of having some of these soccer ladies in class. I had Casey Tillman last year. I've got Malia Berkeley this year. In addition to being world-class athletes, and we've talked about this, uh, these ladies are unbelievable students. They're in class. If they're not traveling, they're in class. Malia was in class Tuesday morning. After getting back late Sunday night, Monday morning, having the celebration Monday afternoon at the Unconquered Statue at 8 o'clock in the morning, she's in class. Hope I didn't violate any privacy rules by mentioning that. But she was there, and 
fully participatory, uh, participating as uh, Casey was, as all of them were, and they are the epitome. They are to be congratulated for being world-class student athletes. Well said, Mr. Jones, and I think you probably did, but anyway. Sorry. The listenership here, nobody listens anyway, so it's all right. They don't know. They listen. They just don't pay attention to me. Basketball team is on the road. Holy moly. Playing UConn this weekend. You know, I thought the Monday night game against Troy was the perfect opportunity for them to lay an egg. And they did. And for many parts of the and game, And still won by 18 or whatever it was. And learning to be focused in games in which you're heavily favored, learning to be focused in games in which you're not shooting well, is what separates the good teams from the great teams. And I'm not here to proclaim the 1819 Hamilton version a great team yet. They're still a very, very good team. But traveling, um, you're going to play UConn. You're not playing them at home. You're playing them in New Jersey. But Coach Hamilton made the comment in his postgame remarks that UConn travels like, uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers and the Denver Broncos and the Alabama Crimson Tides. So that will, it will be a home game for UConn, even though they're playing in New Jersey. And it'll be a test because while UConn is maybe not rated uh, Ken Pond or otherwise, uh, as they have been in the past, they are a storied program. They always have, as Coach Cam likes to talk, great players, well-coached, all this kind of stuff. You're traveling. It's going to be cold as you know what up there. You'll be with me. You're doing the game with me on Saturday. And it'll be a huge test, even bigger than the Troy, uh, as you find out and figure out, does this squad have the mental toughness to go into games in which they're favored and win and going into games in which they're the underdog and win and come out the other end as they get ready for ACC regular season play. You think we're going to see Phil Kofer back? I was told that he would dress and maybe participate on Monday. So my information is not good. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, he's the Meaning bo- this past Monday against Correct. Troy. Correct. Uh, so I don't know. And obviously and appropriately, the coaching staff and everyone associated with the basketball program is very tight-lipped. We'd love to tell you that uh, we talked to Coach Hamilton and he told us it would be this day or this time. That ain't going to happen. Uh, and we understand why. Uh, he's been out of the boot for a couple of weeks now. He, I've been told, although I've not been at practice, that he's doing some individual drills and an occasional team drill. I think the plan is and want is to get him some floor time uh, before the ACC regular season begins. And that's a twofold thing. Number one, to get him acclimated. And obviously, it's going to take a while for him to get back in the basketball shape. There's just so much you can do on a stationary bicycle uh, versus running. And number two, the staff needs some time and the other players need some time when Phil comes back to figure out rotations and who works best (laughs) together and and where the strengths and the weaknesses are. So long, long answer that doesn't tell you a daggum thing. Uh, It could happen Saturday. I'm used to this. I understand. Our listeners as well. It it would not surprise me if you saw Kofer in a uniform on Saturday and he played a few minutes. And then it would not surprise me if he just travels and sits on the bench and waves to me across the court. Thanks, Tim. Way to hedge your bets again. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the bigger point to me is the is is the rotation because the game against Troy, Leonard played some of the younger guys earlier than normal. Played them for extended minutes. That's part of the reason that game was was still close midway through the second half. Um, but you do need to get that rotation a little bit more settled. And I, I've wanted to see more consistency. I, I still feel like we haven't seen whoever's going to assume that Angola role. But maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will continue to be a committee. And some teams are going to say, we're going to take away Savoy and MJ Walker, and that's a week when Kofer's going to have to hit the threes. And other teams are going to say, we're going to take away Kofer and Fee, 
And that's a game where Walker's going to have to hit the three. Savoy did hit his shots the other night. He did, and 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 he is a streaky player, and uh, you just have to live with that. Uh, we made a lot about uh, Raekwon Gray losing some weight. We need to reinforce that uh, PJ shed a few pounds and is much better on the defensive end, and that's uh, been uh, represented by his increased minutes because Leonard is not uh, afraid to play him because he can play defense on the other end. I think uh, Nichols has a pretty nice shot that occasionally can fall. I'd love to see Trent. Uh, develop one. I'd love to see Terrence take some more threes. I think that would relieve the pressure and and certainly shift the focus of the defense away from Savoy and MJ. Uh, but but I I continue to be amazed. I, I hope we can continue to use Kramaji. This is the time of year when he normally develops some type of uh, bump, bruise, injury, or hurt. Uh, that hasn't been the case. Uh, Cabangeli continues to improve. I mean, this is a very fun group to watch. And it's been, you know, they started out last year playing real good defense early in the year, and it kind of waned. And we're waning a little bit on the defensive end. You look at the opponent's field goal percentage. You look at their three-point shooting. Uh, there, there needs to be a doubling down and a refocus on the defensive side. Uh, now would be a good time to do that, and particularly when you got those two games afterwards uh, at home. Uh, before you travel to sunrise I, I hope that doesn't escape us because i think that defense is something you can always count on even when your shots aren't falling okay saturday evening game at yukon we're going to brave the uh, frozen tundra of the northeast and have you followed the weather the- have you followed the weather <clears throat> no i haven't there's a there's weather thanks now back to you in the booth let's go back to football Speaking of weather, where I deal with the elements and you're always in the cozy confines of the booth with a hot chocolate by your side. Um, we didn't really talk about the quarterback situation in the first segment. We talked about the coordinator thing. Here's the basic premise. There's another rumor part before you go there. There supposedly is an in-home visit tomorrow of some significance. Right, with the... <clears throat> Kid who's committed. Well, Tim's not here now with Sam right. Howell, who's committed from uh, Charlotte. We and just and known visit is from one head coach Willie Taggart, not one ex offensive coordinator Walt Bell. Regardless of uh, that, would you take Jalen Hurts? Yes. Would you take any grad transfer for a year? No. We have a bad history of a grad transfer, and I don't mean that Golden Golden was bad. It's a short history. But Hertz would fit here, and we saw that as evidenced in the last couple of series in which he played uh, in the the SEC championship game. So, yes, I would, because by all accounts, he comes with a great attitude, blah, blah, blah. He'd be a one-year thing, and I get that. But, you know, I'd be happy to sign a couple of junior college offensive linemen, too, as a stopgap. I'm not wanting to build my program over a decade with J.C., players and transfer players but you know there's some leaks in the dam and we ain't got quite enough fingers to put them in there yet so let's go get some more fingers <laughs> well and that might be what helps make his decision for him ultimately because there are rumors out there that he's interested in fsu i uh this is not the alabama clemson uh front row show but uh, we said at the time with kelly bryant who now has said he's going to go to missouri, missouri. I was not a fan of him quitting the team in the middle of the year, and it's worked out for Clemson so far because Lawrence has not gotten hurt. But for Hurts to come in, to stick that out, not worry about his red shirt, and then do what he did last week, uh, I don't know a thing about either him or Kelly Bryant, but I would definitely take Hurts based on that. There's two things that happen in college football, Tommy. One of them is you remember great players – excuse me, great plays – because those players go on to the NFL and become great players. We remember when Brett Favre 
came to Tallahassee in 1988 and FSU won. And then the very next year, Florida State played Southern Miss in Jacksonville and Southern Miss beat Florida State. Well, remember, we remember that not because Favre came out of college as the Heisman Trophy winner, but because he became a great pro. Now, I don't know what Jalen Hurts is going to do later on. I don't know whether he'll continue to play pro ball. I don't know if he'll be any good at it. But the other guys that we focus on are guys that come in and do heroic things at the college level, even though they never do anything else at the pro level, we still remember them. If I say rooster, 85% of Florida State fans know exactly who I'm talking about. So you look at the Jalen Hurts thing and the Tua thing, and it would have been very easy for Jalen to do exactly what Kelly Bryant did. Quit, sit out, get ready. He comes back in, and of all places, the SEC championship game, of all games against Georgia, and doesn't win the ball game. I'm not saying he was the reason Alabama won the ball game, but he was the quarterback in the fourth quarter in a game in which Alabama was victorious. That will be remembered forever regardless of what he ever does at the NFL or other level. It was as good as I've seen him play, quite frankly. I mean, for the little bit that he did play, it was was tremendous. Well, uh, you know, in a couple weeks we'll have a signing period. There'll be an offensive coordinator before then. There'll be the regular signing period in February, and a lot of these pieces will fall in a row. I, I, I will just caution again that however it breaks, and this is where we started. Positive or negatively, however it breaks. Positive or negative, we know what the off season looked like last year. There was no missteps. Everything was perfect. And then we know what the season looked like. So ultimately, for as much as you want to judge or now, I do think on the booster side of things and the athletic department side of things, positive developments would help sell tickets. I'm sure they're in favor of that. But ultimately, this will get judged next year at this time, not in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, or August. And very well said. Uh, fortunately, uh, you guys are free to judge us right now. And you may have already tuned out, but uh, we'll invite you to tune back in next Wednesday at 6, and uh, we'll mess things up again for you. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for uh, joining us on Front Row Knowles. Teach and leave them kids alone.